All right, we're going to get started here tonight. And it's, um, there's so many things I'd like to launch into, but I feel like preaching, so I'm not going to do that. But I want you to know that God always al- already has an answer for everything, everything the enemy has tried to throw against you. God already has an answer. God already has a strategy. God already has a greater manifestation of light prepared. And when it seems like the enemy is amping up his game, it's, uh, it's not real. You know, I keep referring back to when Moses went to Pharaoh and he said, let my people go. And immediately the confrontation between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness begins as Pharaoh calls out the sorcerers of Egypt. These are men trained in dark arts. They weren't taken back by the fact that a staff turned into a a cobra. They weren't taken back by the miraculous manufacturing of uh, things. This is not sleight of hand, friends. This was kingdom of light against the kingdom of darkness. But the magicians began quickly to get outpaced by the manifestation of the kingdom of God. They quickly began to fall behind. And uh, this is always God's strategy, that there's he has something held in reserve for every generation to outpace, to outstrip everything that Satan throws at a nation or a people. So the only question for us is, what is yet to be discovered for our generation? Amen? What, what levels of light, what, what manifestations of the kingdom of God are left in reserve for us? So, Father, we, we thank you, God, for this time tonight. Thank you, God, that you've been training us to access what you have made available to us. And so, Lord, we say, we lean in, we lean into you. <laughs> we lean into you tonight. I just, I just have to address something. You know, there is a spirit that brings winds of doctrines that are meant to steal away our victory. And I, you know, recently I hear this sound because these, let me, let me be frank, these brainless theologies start saying things like, and this is the sound I hear, well, you know, we don't have to say Holy Spirit come because he never left. And, you know, this is kind of nonsense. When we are saying Holy Spirit come, what we are saying is manifest. What we're saying is, Lord, we want to meet you because God does not manifest the same place the same way everywhere at the same time. And there's times when his presence is manifest. And when we're saying, come, when we're looking for an encounter, when we're leaning into God in worship, we're saying, God, come, manifest, make, unveil yourself, remove the obscurity from who you are, and let your glory, let the essence of who you are spill into this room. Holy Spirit, we want to say today, we want to say we need you. Holy Spirit, we need you. We need the unveiling of Jesus. We need you. 
more of you. More of you, Lord. More than we've ever seen before. More than we've ever known. More life. More resurrection. Father, we pray that God will recognize the moment that we are in as the body of Christ. You know, so often we see ourselves as victims that were carried on by the providence of God, that God wills the thing and then it happens. But that's actually not true. That's why we're called to pray, Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Ephesians 3.10 says that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God will be made known to principalities and powers. And that what God is trying to do is make us joint heirs, joint co-workers with him, manifesting his glory. You know, when Elijah confronted the Baal worshipers, he, it was a confrontation around who, who could manifest their God, who could, who could bring the manifestation Would it be Baal or Jehovah? Who would manifest? Because the one door closes the other, and the opening of the other door closes the first. And the kingdom conflicts that are coming are about a people who lean into God and worship in spirit and truth. With such faith, with such purity, with such correct kingdom protocols that the glory of God manifests in increasing waves on the earth. Increasing, increasing wave after wave after wave after wave, each one higher than the previous, each one a magnitude, an order of magnitude greater than the one before. But it has to do, and it's not being done independently from your obedience, your faith, And your realization that my worship matters, what's in my mouth right now, what I say matters, that the victory is near me, even in my mouth. So, Father, thank you, God, that we are not orphans any longer. We are not dispossessed uh, children waiting, hoping for another bowl of gruel, but, God, that the kingdom has been freely given to us already. God, we want to lean into the manifestation. So we say, let your kingdom come. Let's say that three times. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let's say it three times. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. Let your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen. Hallelujah. Uh, Mark DuPont is a great speaker. We've had him here a few times. And just what he carries, uh, we need us. And so I'm excited tonight just to hear what God's placed in your heart. And we know it's a timely word for our community. And so, uh, Mark, we are just uh, blessed that uh, you said yes to coming out to Spruce Grove. We're thankful to the Father that he directed you this way, and we just say welcome to Spruce Grove Community Church. And, yeah, do you want the pulpit down? We'll do that. So come on up and just release your word. Why don't we welcome him tonight?
good morning. I always find good worship wakes me up to reality. <laughs> and on top of that, I've just been back a few days from the UK, so my, uh, my you know, there's a story about uh, a guy, uh, he was in a kind of an older elder in a church in Mississippi, and I don't think he'd ever been out of his county in his life, just a, you know, a good old boy. Do you have good old boys in Canada? You don't. Mississippi, yeah, you sent them all to PE, is that PEI, is that right? But anyway, uh, he was just a good old boy, kind of a simple guy, loved Jesus. But uh, he was invited to go with his pastor to a conference in the West Coast. So they got on a plane, they flew four hours, they got out to California, and they're, they're taking a day, they got there a day early, they're walking around the harbor and seeing the sights and just, uh, you know, completely different environment. And after walking around for a couple hours, he says to his pastor, you know, all my life I've been hearing about these people that get on planes and they suffer jet lag. My legs feel just fine. <laughs> Sometimes we're missing a little bit in the fine print. It's, uh, it's good to be with you. I uh, had the opportunity, the privilege of meeting Mark, uh, gosh, I guess it was two or three years ago. It, was it Israel? Way before then. Way before then. In Vancouver, way before then. Obviously, you made a, just a radical impression on <laughs> Oh, well. So, uh, but I got to know you. Let's put it this way a little bit uh, in Israel a few years ago. And, and then he graciously invited me to be with you a couple of years ago. And uh, we came out a couple, I came out a couple of times. Uh, I started to say we came out. It sounds a little bit papal, doesn't it? Like I'm pontificating. But anyway... Um, uh, it's just been a, a privilege getting to know Mark and his wife and some of the leadership here, but especially I really uh, appreciate your heart for worship. I was disappointed you ended the worship. I was just kind of getting warmed up, you know. It takes me a while. But uh, uh, it is uh, great to be back with you worshiping, and I'm excited about what uh, we're going to see the Holy Spirit do. And, uh, you know, we just had a uh, I travel about 130 days a year, sometimes more, sometimes less, all over the globe. I've been doing this for 38 years. And so that's probably the biggest part of our ministry. But everywhere we've lived at, whether the church we started in San Diego or when we lived in Toronto, Canada for six years, or in the Midwest or now back in San Diego, I've always been part of a church leadership team. And although I don't function as the senior pastor because I travel too much and I just, uh, details drive me crazy. I just want to beat people who want to question me about details over the head. <laughs> but, uh, uh, but I'm always part of a pastoral team. I give input based on what I see happening around the globe, what I hear the Lord saying, and, and uh, just trying to correct people because I enjoy doing that. But uh, we were having... One of our, uh, we have our, our pastoral team meets every, every Wednesday afternoon, and when I'm there, I go to those, of course, and uh, we were discussing these big men's conferences we do, and uh, it's not easy having an intense discussion. We have 13 people on our pastoral team. It's not easy having intense discussions because everybody's got a fat head, and they want to, no, I didn't say that, did I? But, but anyway, um, you know, we... we I brought up the point that it's always great to hear a really good, inspiring message, but in and of themselves, good, inspiring messages don't really change people. 
When you hear a good, inspiring message, you can get some input. You can even get a sense of making changes in your life. But aside from the power and the presence of God, it's just like a, a car sitting on blocks. It's not really going anywhere. And so I, I do pray that's true, that uh, what you shared, Chris, that I hopefully will have a good message tonight. But I'm especially anticipating the Holy Spirit doing some impartation tonight. And I'll give you kind of the menu of what the Lord's placed upon my heart tomorrow night. I want to focus on the miraculous, not just healings, but God moving in different situations. Could be in your situation, could be the favor of the Lord, could be a number of different things. But uh, miracles are so much a part of the early days church, and I believe God wants to restore that. Not that we get more excited about miracles than Jesus. We don't get excited about the gifts. We get excited about the gift giver. But the reality is the miraculous is one of the great tools God has given us to extend the kingdom of God. And if you're familiar, for example, in the fact that in the underground church in China, from 1953, there were about 1 million Christians. Today, there's over 100 million Christians. The leaders of the underground church, where obviously it's underground, it's illegal, but they attribute that radical growth to probably 90% of the converts experiencing healings and miracles, signs and wonders in the prophetic. And it's a tool that we need to wake up to here in the Western world. And so we're not only going to be praying for God to do healings and miracles tomorrow, but we're going to spend time praying for an impartation because God wants to use all of us. Mark, that was a pretty good point you made. Do not be discouraged by those blank looks. Let me tell you one story just to whet your appetite a little bit. Uh, in the city of Taichung, in the middle part of Taiwan, about three or four years ago, we did a conference on miracles. And, of course, we prayed for people. There were a lot of things that happened. But one of the testimonies that the elders uh, sent me about a week and a half later was some five days after the conference was over, there was a woman who was part of the church. She wasn't part of the leadership team. She wasn't part of the prayer ministry team. She wasn't commonly involved in laying hands on the sick, that sort of thing. But she went to a swim hall two or three times a week for exercise. And she had finished swimming, and she's sitting on a bench outside a plexiglass wall. You know, she's sitting in the street there, uh, sidewalk, waiting for her husband to pick her up. And on the opposite side of the bench, there's an older gentleman sitting there, and he just stops breathing and just peels right over, just collapses. And the crew that works in the swim hall, of course, they're trained in CPR and all this, and they, they see the man through the plexiglass wall fall over. So they go running outside. They're trying to, you know, resuscitate him, all this stuff. But the man's turning blue. He's dying in front of everybody. And she's just seated on her uh, bench still, just quietly interceding, saying, God, you know, would you bless him? Would you touch him? Would you breathe some life into his lungs? And then all of a sudden the thought came to her, wait a minute, I've just sat for four nights and three days in a conference about healings and miracles. You're saying that God still does that today. So this is way out of her element, way out of her experience, and she feels very awkward doing this. But she got up and pushed her way around the crew trying to do CPR and all this stuff. And she uh, put her hands on his chest and said, In the name of Jesus, I rebuke the spirit of death and I call you back to life. And the old boy just sat up breathing, you know. 
And, uh, you know, I, I love stories like this. I like it when I first hear them because they're exciting. I think, wait a minute, it took me about 10 years to go from bad knees to headaches being healed, you know. And here she's never prayed for anybody, and she's almost raising the dead, you know. But this is the day and age we're in, you know. There's an acceleration going on, and which is what I want to talk about tonight. So we're going to be praying for an impartation for all of us. And again, not just for physical healings, but in many different areas, God just wants to do things, creative things that are humanly impossible. Tonight, I want to speak about the call of God upon you all, not only as individuals, married couples, families, but as a church, to be a people of breakthrough. We know that there's many different names God gives himself in the Old Testament, such as Jehovah Rapha, the Lord God who heals, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord who provides, El Elyon, Most High God who watches over everything. But uh, one of the names that David kind of came up with when he had the breakthrough in 2 Samuel 5, he had just recently become king, And the Philistines came with a huge army because they were more afraid of David coming into the kingship than they'd ever been afraid of Saul because they knew that God was with David. And so they sent a large army to uh, destroy David. And it's interesting that it says they camped out in the Valley of Rephim. And the word Rephim in the Hebrew, it's similar to Nephilim, meaning the giants. But in the root of the word in Hebrew... It means discouragement. And any time God's about to bring a breakthrough in your life or a promotion or where maybe you've been sowing and sowing and sowing for years and you think, is there ever going to be a payoff from this? When it comes time to start reaping, I'm not saying the devil's omniscient because he's not, but somehow he is more aware sometimes of the breakthroughs God has for us than we ourselves. And he will come like a tsunami wave. And he'll come in patterns that he's come in the past. And here David had been struggling years to be obedient to God and come into something he didn't even ask for. But God said, you're going to be king. And finally that time comes and the enemy comes and camps out in the valley of Rephim. And that's just how the Lord, the enemy will attack you. He'll visit your past disappointments, your past failures, and he'll say, as it has been, so it shall be. But it says that David went into the stronghold, and he sought the Lord, and the Lord gave him a very clear uh, strategy in battle, and they broke through, and they destroyed the the enemy, that army. And David named the place Baal-perazim, which means the Lord of the Breakthrough. And if I had time, I would develop the whole story because the enemy came again. It actually gets more exciting. And you think, well, come on, give us the exciting part. But uh, God does want to bring you, so to speak, symbolically speaking, to the point where we're going to be hearing the marching and the treetops of God's glory and his army going forward. But the point I want to make is that David gave this name to God, Baal-perazim, which could be translated the Lord of the Breakthrough. You know, Mark touched on this uh, towards the end there, that God did not create us, or Jesus did not come for us, I should say, just so we could merely survive in this realm. The Apostle Paul said prophetically in Romans 8 that in Christ Jesus we are more than conquerors. And that means we're supposed to conquer a few things. Daniel chapter 2 verses 20 through 22, 
Daniel said, Praise be to the name of God forever and ever. Wisdom and power are his. He changes the times and seasons. He sets up kings and disposes them. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to the discerning. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what lies in darkness, and light dwells with them. He changes the times and seasons. And, you know, I understand that Alberta, there's a whole lot of farming going on, and maybe you have a farming background, or maybe you are a farmer, I don't know. But, you know, we think about in the natural, there's the dormant uh, months, you know, winter time, and then there's spring, a time for sowing, and then summer when everything's growing and we nurture it, and then comes the time of the harvest. And things go in these three-month cycles, more or less, unless you live up here where it's cold so much of the year. I won't mention that coming from San Diego. But the reality is, in the kingdom of God, the seasons for sowing and reaping and breakthrough do not always follow these three-month intervals that sometimes you can be years, such as David, going through a time of preparation, or like Joseph, you can go through years of difficulty to the point maybe like Abram and Sarah where you're even giving up on the promises of God in your life. But all of a sudden, the Lord says, now is the time of the breakthrough. He is the Lord of the times and seasons. In the 80s, there was a song uh, from an alternative group that had a line in it that is just, that line permeated my soul when I heard it. And the line goes like this, in life, the choice is to change or to be changed. In life, the choice is to change or to be changed. And that is so completely true. And even in the kingdom of God, even with the people of God, Either we're going forward with God or we're losing ground. There is no such thing as staying the same. And, you know, I minister in churches all over the world, large churches, small churches, all different sorts of denominations, networks. One of the real tragedies I've seen in the body of Christ is when a church where maybe the leaders in their 20s, 30s, 40s really have a pioneer spirit, and they have phenomenal breakthroughs. The breakthrough could be an evangelism or, I don't know, apostolic sending out, starting new things. It could be in worship. And, but all of a sudden, they get to a point where they're camping out on the breakthrough of yesterday. If we allow it to, yesterday's peak becomes today's plateau. It will become tomorrow's gutter. And that's true in all of life. It's true in business. It's true in technology. It's true in art. It's true in every area of life. There is no such thing as staying the same. And that comes from the fact that we were created in the image of God. And his first words to us were, be fruitful and multiply. And even the universe itself, scientists tell us, is constantly expanding. He created us to grow from one level of glory to another. And that also has to do with the talents and abilities and sometimes even the dreams and the goals that he has for your life. And it is a complete tragedy for whatever reason whatsoever, when an individual, especially a Christian, when they arrive at a point in life and say, well, I'm reasonably comfortable, I'm reasonably successful, I'm just going to camp out here. Now, we don't use that phrase. We don't say, I'm just going to camp out here. 
But we, ad- we adopt that heart posture and we stop being visionary. We stop seeking God. And the reality is we stop believing the promises of God. Two life verses for me are 1 Corinthians 2.9. This says, God has more for those who love him, more than our eyes have seen, more than our ears have heard, more than we can ever begin to imagine. Well, it doesn't say that we can never begin, but I'm, I'm adding on there. But Ephesians 3, 20, 21, give glory to the one who can do far more than you can think or ask, according to his power that works within us. And it is a complete tragedy in our life or in the life of a church where we think we're just here to camp out, we're just here to maintain the standard, we're just here to strengthen yesterday's great breakthroughs. No. We're here to go from glory to glory, strength to strength, and breakthrough to breakthrough. We're called, you are called to be a pioneer people. You're called to go into uncharted territories and do things you've never done before. And the thing about a pioneer is they don't just go in and mess around a little bit and come back out. But a true pioneer makes a breakthrough for others to follow. A pioneer make, so to speak, the territory inhabitable for other people to come after them. Biblically, we can think about people like Abraham, Moses, taking people, Joshua into the promised land, Jesus and the kingdom of God, Hudson Taylor, you know, who pioneered that incredible work in China a couple hundred years ago. But also we can think about some natural, perspe- uh, natural examples that I want to throw at you, like Jackie Robinson, When Jackie Robinson came on the scene, there were no black baseball players in the National Baseball League, and it was a tragedy. And one day, Jackie Robinson got called, if you've seen the movie 42, which is somewhat of a Hollywoodized documentary about his life, but it has more true in it that's false. He's called before the owner of the Brooklyn Dodgers. And he says, I want to give you the opportunity. And he said something interesting to Jackie Robinson. He said, I know you're a great baseball player, but I also know you're a fighter, and that's good. But he said, I need a man who's not going to fight back. Because if you step into this arena, you're going to be cursed, you're going to be mocked, you're going to have all sorts of things thrown at you. And I need a man who's not going to fight back. And Jackie Robinson said, you mean you want a man who's a coward? He said, no, I want a man who's big enough to overcome that. Because if you respond in anger, you're going to justify all the negative false things that are going to be said about you anyway. Jackie Robinson, so to speak, had to respond, learn to respond in a Christ-like way to the opposition coming against him, not to retaliate, even though he was, so to speak, a tough guy. He was a man's man. But he had to learn a different way to bring about breakthrough. And one of the reasons why we sometimes go through long seasons preparing us for breakthrough is not that God can't give it to us any moment, but he wants to prepare us for it so when it comes, we can walk in a Christ-like way. Another modern example in modern contemporary history is Chuck Yeager. 
Chuck Yeager was probably the most successful combat pilot of World War II. And they say his secret was that his eyesight was so good that he could see when he was flying the sunlight glinting off an airplane 50 miles on the horizon. What most of us could see at 10 feet, he could see at 20 feet. And there's a parallel there of seeing in the spirit what's off in the distance and going for that. But after World War II ended in 1946, 1947, at that time the uh, United States Army Air Corps, which later became the Air Force, they began to gather a lot of their top, um, I want to say, engineers, scientists, and pilots. They gathered them in the Mojave Desert because they believed that they could develop a plane that would break the sound barrier. The sound barrier is something like around, what is it? It's uh, 767 miles per hour. The problem was that the closer you got to the sound barrier, the more resistance there was. And they literally did not have the technology to make planes that could withstand that resistance. And so they built what they thought was a better plane, and they actually began to lose pilots because they got closer and closer. The whole plane would be vibrating, shaking so dramatically, they were literally falling apart. And so they'd redesign it and go back up. But they were basing all of this on a theory that no one had ever experienced before, and that was Einstein's theory of relativity that said if you can ever break the sound barrier, all the resistance will immediately disappear. It was just a theory, but it was a very dangerous theory they were pressing in on because, as I said, they were losing pilots. But one day in the latest and greatest plane they had, Chuck Yeager was up there. And he was going faster than anyone had ever flown before, and he was very close to it. But he called down and said, the plane is shaking so powerfully I'm having to hold both my hands to hold the stick, and I can barely hang on to it. And they said, slow down. We don't want to lose you. Just call it off. Come back down. But he believed in this theory of Einstein's, and so, so to speak, he gave it the gas. And a moment later, he called down, and he said, Einstein was right. He said, I feel like I'm walking on clouds. All the resistance was gone. And that is such a clear parallel, I believe, that if we have eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit is calling us to do, what He's leading us to do, I'm not just talking about the corporate church, but you and your life. And that is daring to believe, even what Chris just shared a few moments ago, Proverbs 3, 5, not leaning unto your understanding, but trust the Lord with all your heart. And to extrapolate that to go into Psalm 37, that as you delight yourself in God, believing he really does want to give you the desires of your heart. But sometimes the closer you get to the breakthrough, the more re demonic resistance there is. And you know what? Sometimes that resistance is not even demonic. It's just yourself. What you want the most, you disbelieve. in. It's, it's crazy, isn't it? You know, when the disciples first as a group, saw Jesus 
raised from, uh, after he was raised from the dead, in one of the accounts, it says they disbelieved for joy. That makes no sense whatsoever. But if you understand the reality there is sometimes you can want something so badly, but in your heart thinking, oh, it's for everybody else but me. God's got a breakthrough. God's got a blessing. God's got a healing. God's got a promotion for everybody else but me. You want it so bad, and then when the opportunity is there, we can be like the disciples, disbelieving for joy. Are we still alive? But the call upon each of us, according to what the Bible says, is to be ever-increasing in fruitfulness in life, not camping out on where we've been. John, Jesus said in John 15, he said, By this is my Father glorified, that you bear much fruit. Not just a little bit, not just an average amount, but for all of us, he wants us to bear a lot of fruit. So, if you're still on board with this, I want to give you four keys to being a pioneer person. And I'm so excited to see you're all taking out notes and writing studiously here. Four keys for being a breakthrough pioneer. And again, this is for your own life. In dreams you have, but also the visions and goals God has for you that you don't as yet have any idea of, perhaps. First of all, stay always listening to the Holy Spirit. If it's true, and the Word of God is always true, that God has more for you than your eyes have seen, more than your ears have heard, more than you can imagine, how in the world are you supposed to envision that, let alone move towards that, if it's more than you can even think or imagine? We're not all called to be prophets to the nations, but we're all called to be prophetic. The sons of God, Paul said, and that includes the daughters, are those that are led by the Spirit. The Father, by the Holy Spirit, wants to lead you into what Jesus came to give you. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? The Father wants to lead you by the Spirit to bring into what Jesus came to give you more than you'll have any idea. Most of you probably know from what I've, I've told you in the past, a little bit of our testimony, that uh, we were very involved in the move of the Spirit that broke out in Toronto in 1994. In 1992, we moved to Toronto, and the first week there, speaking at a prophetic conference, God gave me a vision of Niagara Falls coming over the city of Toronto, and God said, I'm going to pour out uh, my Spirit, and they're going to come from the nations and it's going to begin in late 93, early 94. And that move began the third week in January, and our church there in the first five years, they estimate conservatively we had between four and five million people walk through the doors of our church. And when that move began, our church building wasn't even as big as what you have here. But it was so crazy what led up to that. My wife and I, we started our international ministry in the 80s, and in 86, we also helped two good friends of mine in San Diego start a church. And by 1990, that church was going pretty well. We were especially seeing a lot of young people, a lot of teenagers, out of the punk scene, the mod scene, and all sorts of scenes coming to Lord Jesus. It was great. 
we'd have girls that one week their necks would be green, the next week could be purple, next week, you know, it was just, it was so much fun, you know, we were just seeing so many people, uh, young people coming to Christ. But in the midst of that, I uh, accepted an invitation, I spoke at a church conference in Stratford, Ontario, and uh, when the conference is over, I was uh, driving with the pastor's wife, driving to Toronto. They had just started a brand new little church there, and they asked me if I'd speak there Sunday night. So we're driving there. And they said, uh, you know, Mark, this may seem rather strange, but would you ever entertain the thought about you and your wife maybe praying about leaving San Diego and coming to Toronto and uh, being part of our leadership team when you're not traveling because you could help train and develop the spiritual gifts, prophecy, healing, and do special meetings and stuff. And uh, I thought to myself, are you crazy? Why in the world would I live, leave San Diego that has one of the best climates in all of North America and come to this place where you have this stuff called snow? It's cold, you know. And on top of that, you, you know, you have these high taxes. Dare I say that? And, you know, uh, all of our family and friends are there. We have this great church we help start, you know. I don't want to do that. But to be polite, I said, okay, well, I'll pray about it. So for integrity's sake, I did pray about it, and I mentioned to my wife she prayed about it, and this did not want go the way we were wanting it to go. Uh, first, to my surprise, it felt like the Lord said, yeah, I want you to go, and my wife said she was in it. So then I sat down with the two guys that I was in leadership with in church in San Diego, and I said, you know, I, I told you a while back I was in this church in Stratford, Ontario, and we did this conference, blah, blah, and they said, yeah, I said, well, this is what they asked me. They prayed about I don't know, but I sense God could be in it. And they said, well, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever. I said, I know it doesn't make any sense, but I sense the Lord is saying yes. So we agreed to take 60 days and pray about it, the three of us. And we came back together to discuss it. And they said, you know, we don't understand this, but we feel like the Lord is saying you're to go. So about a year later, the church blessed us, and uh, we moved to uh, Toronto, and the first week there had that prophetic word about Niagara Falls coming to the city of Toronto, was going to go to the nations. And uh, when the move of the Spirit began, I called up my two friends back in San Diego. I said, get out here as soon as you can. The Holy Spirit's just moving in so powerfully. And so they bought tickets, and two weeks later they were there. And they literally spent six, seven nights just laid out in the Spirit. And um, they got back to San Diego, and for a year and a half, they had special meetings every Friday, Saturday, Sunday night. And they estimate over that year and a half, they had over 75,000 Christians from all over San Diego, from all different groups, including Nazarenes, Baptists, and, you know, come to their church and just get incredibly touched by God. But the reason I'm telling you this is the second day they were there, after the first night meeting they were in, where they got discombobulated by the Holy Spirit, that's a theological word, by the way. Isaiah got discombobulated by the glory of God. But uh, we went out to lunch the next day, and they said, you know, a year and a half ago when we prayed about you coming out here, it didn't make any sense, but now it makes perfect sense. And this is how the Holy Spirit moves at times. And the Holy Spirit did not force us to move because wisdom from above is pure and peaceable, it's gentle. But as my wife and I prayed about this in our hearts, we felt a peace about it. My friends Mark and Dave, as they prayed about it, they felt a peace about it. And the wisdom of God unfolded about a year and a half later. And if somebody had said to us before we moved there, 
that you're going to give a prophetic word that literally is going to impact millions coming to this little church in Toronto, I would have said, you're crazy. But yet, that's exactly what happened. And I tell you that as a living story about how God literally has more for you than your eyes have seen, your ears have heard, more than you can understand. And the only way we're going to come into the more than we can understand is by paying attention to what the Lord would say to us. I'm a bit of a fan of of Einstein, as maybe you can guess. And one of my favorite quotes from Einstein is, what I really want to know are the thoughts of God. Everything else is just detail. That he realized that all the breakthroughs he came, he had, never came about merely from what he already knew, but there was revelation out there. I don't think he was looking to God the same way you and I were, but he understood that wisdom as we know it is always limited. There has to be more out there. A second key to being a breakthrough person, and uh, if this uh, ends up being a challenge to some of you, just realize right now that you need to repent. But we live in a very anti-authority culture in the Western world. Ever since the 60s, you know, where uh, question authority and anti-authority has been championed in our culture. And we don't like people telling us what's up. We don't like the pastor meddling with us. We don't like uh, being pulled over by the police or anything else. And we're increasingly becoming a culture of law, embracing lawlessness and dishonoring authority. But one of the great keys to being a breakthrough person is learning to honor God-given authority. Three of you are excited. (laughs) I'm not saying authority is always right. As we look at the national level and international level, we see so much corruption and so much idiocy going on. But the Bible says to honor authority. Because when we don't honor authority that God has allowed to come in position, vicariously we're dishonoring God himself. We look at Jesus and John the Baptist. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is here on earth. And one day he walks out to the Jordan River where John, a mere man, is baptizing people. But John's message is, repent. The kingdom of God is at hand. Jesus, the King of kings and Lord of lords, had no sin to repent of whatsoever. And he comes walking out in the water to be baptized by John. And John looks at him and John realizes Jesus has no sin to repent of. And John says to him, you come to me for baptism. I need to be baptized by you, meaning the baptism is going to come with the Holy Spirit. But it's very interesting how Jesus responded. Jesus said, nevertheless, let it be done so that all righteousness will be fulfilled. Jesus was not coming out to John to be baptized because he had sin in his life. He didn't. He was coming out to John to be baptized because he recognized that even though Jesus was the King of kings and Lord of lords, and John was a mere man, John was still the Father's chief spokesman for the kingdom of God. He was honoring the Father's authority upon John. And when Jesus came up out of the waters, three things happened. One, the Father spoke his approval. He was so pleased 
with the humility of his son. Jesus had not cast out one demon, healed one sick person, preached one message, but the Father is already pleased with them because he loved his character. Secondly, the heavens opened up, meaning a great freedom from ministry. And third, the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus, the anointing. I have met many, many women around the globe, sometimes in places like South Africa, sometimes in Europe, sometimes in you know, North America, that are incredibly gifted by God. But some of them have been going nowhere for years because they refuse to honor authority. And God gives authority. And sometimes we don't like how authority wants to sit on us But sometimes, even in that, God is using that to prepare us to teach us the ways of Christ, even as Joseph did not deserve to be thrown into prison. But he learned the ways of Christ, so to speak, so that when he was confronted with his brothers who had beat him up, thrown him in the pit, sold him into slavery, and subject him to years of problems, he ministered forgiveness rather than judgment. Those years were so difficult for him. And, you know, uh, I may have told you when I was here in the past, I'm a a passionate motorcyclist. And, uh, you know, I realize where you're at, everything's flat, but you get into the mountains, there's great curves and things like that. And you can be flying along a little bit of a straight section, then comes a curve, and there'll be a warning sign that says 25 miles per hour. I had a revelation years ago. Those signs were put there for cars, not for motorcycles. (laughs) My problem is that I've had four policemen who have not had that revelation (laughs) who have pulled me over. And every time they pull me over, by the time they get out of their car and walk up to me, I've already got my license, my insurance, and my registration in my hand. And when they ask the magic question... I don't know about Canada, but they always ask you this question in the States. Do you know why I pulled you over? Don't play stupid at that point. It does not impress them one bit. But when they ask me that question, I I always say, yes, sir. Or if it was a woman, please, I'd say, yes, ma'am. I know exactly why you pulled me over. And here's the thing that drives my wife crazy. On all four of those occasions, I've been let off with a warning. No tickets. About uh, a month or two after the last time I was pulled over, I was in a layover at Los Angeles International Airport. There was a newspaper, LA Times, laying there. I was bored, so I picked up and started reading it. And I found this article written by a woman police officer. And she said, what to do when you're pulled over by a police officer? And she said, everybody is nervous when they're pulled over by a police officer. She said, even myself, if I'm driving my own car and I'm just, you know, whatever, if I'm ever pulled over by another police officer, even I'm nervous and uptight. She said, the number one mistake most people make when they're pulled over by a police officer is they want to smart off and they want to dishonor the authority. She said, most of the time, most of the police officers I know, when they pull you over, they're looking for a good excuse to let you off. But she said, when you get antagonistic or you become a smart aleck or anything else, they love to just pile it on. 
And that's just one small example that we look at the life of Jesus, even though he was the Son of God, he honored the Father's authority upon a mere man. There's other stories we could talk about, like the centurion who understood the authority Jesus walked under. But the spirit of lawlessness is becoming the ruination of our Western world culture. And we as a people, we need to be people that we see God's hand at work in our lives even when we don't like it. One person's excited. Good. A A third key about bringing a breakthrough person is learning to believe God despite the outward situation. And again, Chris referred to it earlier on. Proverbs 3, 5 should be underlined in everybody's Bible. And I know there's some of you that you don't believe in underlining verses in your Bible. That's cool. Reach across and underline it in somebody else's Bible. But Proverbs 3, 5 should be underlined, and it reads, Lean not to understanding, meaning don't trust in what you can understand according to your natural mindset, but trust in the Lord with all of your heart. There is so much that God wants to do. I was um, speaking in January of this year, doing a a weekend of meetings, kind of like here at um, the Catch the Fire Church in Toronto. And after one of the meetings, a young woman walked up to me, and she said, you probably don't remember me, but last year when you were here at the church, I came up, and she said I was very weak and very frail, and my friends were with me, and you prayed for me. And she said, uh, I and my family immigrated about six years ago from Egypt to Toronto. And two years ago, she said, I came down with a very, very difficult... Oh, thank you very much. Um, Can I get you to take that top off for me? She said, I came down with a very, very, thank you, difficult disease. And she said, there is no known cure for this disease. And the disease is, and I, I can, we actually have her video testimony on my website. I can't remember the actual Latin phrase and the medical term for the disease. It's got about four or five hard-to-pronounce words all thrown together. But her disease is, it causes every single nerve ending in your body to go bad, which means you're experiencing pain off every single nerve ending. It is not only the, uh, there's no known cure for it, but it is the most painful disease known to medicine. And she said, I'd been suffering for about a year, year and a half of this. The last six months I had it, I was in so much pain. Most days I could not leave my bed. I would just be writhing in pain. She said, I was on multiple painkillers from the hospital here in Toronto. We were, my family was taking me on trips across the border down to uh, New York where they were giving me neurological blockers because I just could not function. And she said, I heard that you were praying for the sick in Toronto, at the meetings here in Toronto, so I got my friends to bring me. Her family are Christians. And, uh, and, and I don't remember her, but she said, you prayed for me. And this is something I don't normally say. But she said, you said to me, I see the Spirit of God working in you right now. And within a few days, you're going to begin to see a difference. She said it was five days later. I was laying in my bed just in incredible pain. And she said, all of a sudden, the glory of God 
was there. And she said, I was in so much pain. I'd been in so much pain for six months. I was despairing of life. And when the glory of God showed up, I thought the Lord had come to take me home because I just, uh, she said, I'm only you know, 19, 20. I can't imagine living like this. And she said, I thought the Lord had come to take me home. But after 20 or 30 minutes, I realized all the pain was completely gone. And she said, that was 10 months ago, and I'm completely free, 100%. And that, you know, Jesus said something critical about faith, because faith is the currency of the kingdom. If you've got it, you can go places and do things. But the cool thing he said about faith is, if you've just got faith the size of a mustard seed, if you've just got a little bit of faith, it's enough to move a mountain, meaning an immovable problem in your life. We're not called to do a whole lot of fighting as Christians, but one fight we are called to fight, as Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy 6.12, is to fight the good fight of faith. That we're called to stare at the opposition and stare it down. Not be governed by that, not allow our emotions or our mindset or our faith to be governed by that. Greater is he who's in us than he who's in the world. And there's times when everything around you will be saying, it hasn't worked out and it won't work out. But yet, when God begins to speak to your heart, when a verse out of the promises of God in the Bible jump out at you, you've got to have more confidence in what you don't see than what you do see. I love what Catherine Coleman said, who moved so powerfully in the miraculous. She said, the things I don't see are more real to me than the things I do see. But we've got to believe God despite the outward situation. Just as Chuck Yeager had more faith in Einstein's unproven theory of relativity than he did in the shaking of the plane that was going on. And finally, the fourth lesson about learning to be a breakthrough person is learning that God's grace is more than sufficient for your life. God will purposely allow you to come to the end of your own strengths. Because the breakthroughs and things he wants to do in your life are far more than your mere talents and abilities and capabilities. He wants you to come to the point where you're leaning into him. I love what Paul said when Paul, had, and I believe Paul was writing about the ongoing persecution. He'd been beaten, whipped, stoned so many times. And I believe that's what he was talking about when he said he prayed three times that the Lord would take it away from him. But he said that the Lord said to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. Paul went on to say, Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. See, when God first calls you to do something maybe you've never done before, you think, well, you know, I've developed this talent. I have this ability. I can see where I think I can, you know, grow this ability a little bit. And for sure, that's part of it. But what God wants to do so much in your life is beyond your own abilities. 
He wants you to lean into him. And so listening to the Holy Spirit, honoring God's authority, believing God despite the outward situation, but learning that his grace is sufficient, that in your weakness his power is made real. I believe these are just four critical keys to coming into breakthrough. And let me tell you, breakthroughs are coming in so many different ways. About uh, a year and a half ago, we, uh, San Diego has about 4 million people, lots of churches, lots of small churches, lots of big churches with five, ten, fifteen thousand 15,000 people. And uh, I got a message from a friend of mine that a pastor of a church with 8,000 people and his network denomination has taken a hard stand against the prophetic today and against laying on of hands, healings, and miracles. And I got a message that this pastor wanted to meet with me. And I thought, well, you know, this is probably not going to be good. He's probably, because uh, a lot of the prophecies I've had about San Diego and Southern California, they've gone the rounds, you know, and, and uh, the, the smart, intelligent, good-looking, spiritual people love them and the others. <laughs> But I thought he's probably gotten hold of my prophecies and is a bit of aware of many. He probably wants to, um, you know, I don't know, say something to me. And, uh, but I prayed about it. I really didn't want to meet with them, but I felt like the Lord said, I want you to meet with them. So I went and met with him. And his church is about a half hour north of where uh, I, and I live near my church. And he is there, and two or three of his key uh, eldership is there. And uh, they're looking kind of formal, you know, and I'm thinking, this is not going to end well. And uh, this pastor, his, his name is Ray. He's uh, the same age I am, 33. <laughs> He's 62, born in 56, same year I was. And he said to me, Mark, I've been hearing about your ministry for years. And I thought to myself, here we go. <laughs> and he said, I'd love to know more about what God has done through you and what God is doing through you. And he, and he said it just in a, in a very friendly way. So I said, well, you know, I've gone this far. Might as well spill the beans. So I told him about a lot of things, you know, growing in healings and miracles, Toronto, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, moves of spirit I've seen around the globe and different things. And he and his key eldership, they were hanging on every word. And he said, well, would you be open to me telling you what God has been doing just uh, in my life? I said, sure. And I knew about him because, you know, pastor with 8,000 people, you, get, you know about that in those kind of churches. But he told me a bit about his history, church planting and developing the church and different moves and things like that. But he said, what I really wanted to talk to you about is what the Holy Spirit's been doing in my life the last year and a half, two years. He said, in our church, we do expository, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book, Bible teaching. And he said, a few years ago, I was teaching on, you know, with when they dedicated the, the temple, how a cloud came down, a cloud of God's glory when Solomon dedicated it. And I finished all the Saturday night, Sunday morning messages. My wife and I were driving home, and he said it was a nice sunny day. There wasn't literally a cloud anywhere. And he said hovering over the entrance of our house was a cloud. 
My wife and I just sat in the driveway staring at this. He said, a short time later, I happened to mention in one of my teachings what Jesus said to the church of Laodicea, I stand at the door and knock. And we know that evangelists oftentimes use that word in preaching and say, but that wasn't written to the unchurched. It was written to Christians, God wanting greater intimacy. And he said, after mentioning that for several months, sometimes in the middle of the night, sometimes in the day, there'd be knocking on the doors of our church, I mean, on, on, our, on my house. And then it started happening in my daughter, who heads up the women's ministry. And he said, the first time it happened was about 12 o'clock at night, and I thought, what's the matter? Somebody's here, you know? And he goes, run to the front door. There's nobody there. And he thought maybe some kids were playing a prank on him. Whatever. But then he said, then it started happening with doors in the interior of the house. And he said, I've begun to realize God wants a far greater intimacy with me than I've known about in the past. And uh, I just, um, about two weeks ago, he and I and some of his key leaders spent another two or three hours together. We probably have met seven times now. And literally, I walked away from that first meeting with him feeling like I'd met my long-lost best friend. And we meet together regularly, we pray, and, and he has been on the biggest adventure of his life. He's doing things in his meetings he's never done before. He's now giving words of knowledge in meetings, and they've had people healed of cancer and diseases. They're praying for people to be filled with the Spirit in their meetings, things they've never done before. And they've actually begun to have downloads of the kabod, the weight of God's glory. And see, it doesn't matter whether we're talking about kind of like an innovative, you know, current church, you know, kind of like what you guys are, or some church that everybody looks at and thinks, yeah, we know all about them. They've been this way for 30 years. No, God has more for us than our eyes have seen, our ears have heard, more than we have any idea whatsoever. This is a breakthrough season. Whether you're like that young Egyptian girl you think, you know, God just has to take me home. I can't live with this anymore. But yet she had enough faith to get her friends and family to take her to the meeting, and she got healed. Or this pastor of this mega church, all of a sudden, he's like a kid in a candy shop now, just coming into a whole new realm of the Holy Spirit. Very quickly, I want to mention two traps which can rob you of pioneer breakthrough living. And one, I've already mentioned, is allowing yesterday's good to become the enemy of the future great. Matthew 17, Jesus takes Peter, James, and John up the mountaintop. And all of a sudden, Jesus is transformed into his glorious appearance. And on top of that, Moses and Elijah, the two great heroes of the Hebrew people, are there speaking with Jesus. And Peter, being Peter, makes the understatement of a millennium. He says, it's good that we're here. (laughs) And he says, let us build three tabernacles to commemorate the event, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. And it says that while Peter was still speaking, a cloud came down, a cloud of God's glory, and the Father spoke out of that. And he said, this is my son, 
listen to him. Do you know what he was actually saying to Peter? He was rebuking Peter and saying, Peter, I don't want you making a monument to what happened even five minutes ago. Stay current with the current. Keep listening to my son. Our human nature is we, we achieve some sort of breakthrough. It could be in business, could be in arts, could be in all sorts of things. But we have some level of success, and we want to make a monument out of it. And the present good becomes the enemy of the future great. Because it is always God's heart to take us from strength to strength, glory to glory, and breakthrough to breakthrough. And it's so interesting, when the Father spoke out of that cloud, Peter, James, and John collapsed on the ground. But then it says Jesus came and raised them up, and it says something really key. They could only see Jesus. God wants to overwhelm the church with a contagious disease called Jesusitis, where we're no longer enamored so much with our great ministries. We're no longer excited just because we have the latest and greatest pop Christian song on Sunday mornings. Hello. But we're lost in the wonder of who he is. The second trap, which so many of us fall into, is comparing yourself to somebody else. Matthew 25, the stewards and the talents. Jesus told the parable, the wealthy man gave five talents or measures of money to one of his stewards and said, invest it. And to another he gave two and another he gave one. And he went on a long journey. When he came back from the journey, he called them into account. What have you done with what I've entrusted you? And this is really a picture of the judging of the saints, you know, God uh, blessing us and rewarding us for what we do with the talents and abilities he's given us. But to the one that he'd given five talents to, he said, Master, I invested, I gained five more. And the master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. Here's more besides. Now enter into the joy of your master. To the one that he'd given the two talents to, he said, Master, I gained two more. I doubled it. And he said to him exactly what he said to the first one. He said, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful to a few things. Here's more besides. Enter into the joy of your master. And here is the thing that is so critical that I want to throw at you after this, out of this parable. Jesus, or the master in the parable, did not expect the same increase from the one that he'd given the two talents to as opposed to the one he'd given the five talents to. But the reward was the same. It is so like all of us that we look at somebody else and say, oh, if only I had her personality, or only if I had his, you know, gifts and talents, or only if I, you know, was as eloquent as he is, or only if I was born with the opportunities that she has. But you know what? If you are faithful with the opportunities, the gifts, and the talents God gives you, your reward is going to be the same as everybody else. 
Imagine if in your life you lead about 45 people to Jesus. At the judging of the saints, you'd be thinking, hey, I've done pretty good here. And then you realize the person standing in front of you is Billy Graham, who's led his 45 million to the Lord. All of a sudden, you're not feeling so good about, uh, you know, what you've achieved. But you know what? God hasn't entrusted you. He hasn't given you the same anointing he gave Billy Graham. He hasn't given you the same calling. He hasn't given you the same opportunities. But if you are faithful with what God gives you, the reward is going to be the same. The second thing I want to draw to your attention out of this is as they were faithful in the little, more was given. Let me tell you, if you're continually ragging and complaining about the job you have right now, don't expect God to give you a new one tomorrow. That went over big with about six people. See, God's not going to entrust you with more responsibility if we're not excited about doing what we do right now to the glory of God. People say, oh, if only I had this situation. No, if you're not trying to serve God right where you're at, you're not going to serve God there either. A friend of mine in England, he, uh, he does a lot of driving in his ministry. And he was complaining one day about his car. And he said, Lord, Lord, would you give me a new car? And Lord said to him, why should I give you a new one when you don't take care of the one I've already given you? He repented that weekend. He thoroughly, thoroughly washed his car. He interior, exterior, vacuumed it, shampooed the, uh, you know, I was going to say the rug, but the carpets in the car. He just buffed it out. He waxed it. The following week, he took it, had the oil changed. He put new tires on it. And he said, surprise, surprise, the car actually started running better. It was more enjoyable to be in. And just a few minutes, months later, the Lord just blessed him. Somebody gave him a whole big brand new car. But the point is this. If we're faithful in the little things with what God's already entrusted us, if we're faithful in that, more shall be given. Are you still alive? Good. Lastly, and this is critical to understand, is... You and I will never be completely satisfied in this life unless we're walking in the unique purposes God created us to walk in. God is a master builder. Every single life, he not only creates in his image, but he creates to be a unique reflection of him. The odds of somebody having your exact personality and your exact set of talents is over a billion to one. But the problem is, you know, there's only about six or seven billion people on the earth, so there's only about five or six people on the whole earth that are even come close to having your exact makeup. What that means is there's things God created you to accomplish that nobody can accomplish except you. Now, I've, I've been a, a runner for 40, 45 years, uh, and even when I played soccer in high school, I was never good at sprinting. <laughs> I had to make up for it with endurance. 
And so when I run, I go for distance. I, I don't go for sprinting. But if you take someone who's good at sprinting and you say you have to be a marathon runner, it'll kill them. They'll just get bored to death. And that's how it is in life, that God created you in a unique way. He's put certain gifts and talents within you. And just like it says in Revelation, he has a name for you that nobody knows but he himself. And that name is reflective of what he's created you to walk in. And, you know, we used to say housewife, but that's no longer politically correct. So now you're maybe a house parent, you know. Or maybe you're a banker or a lawyer or a mechanic or a teacher or this or that. But El Elyon, God Most High, he watches over every detail in your life. And there's no such thing as coincidence in the kingdom of God. He places you in certain places. And even sometimes when we make mistakes, we make decisions that are out of his will. If we'll repent over that... He can still redeem that. He can still give you beauty for ashes. Have you ever thought about that? You know, you take a piece of wood that can be used for building a house or building a piece of furniture, making a piece of art, something beautiful, and then it's burned. There's nothing good left about it. But God can take those ashes, symbolically speaking, and he can give you beauty for waste. And I want to reinforce this because all of us have made decisions at times that have been outside of the will of God. But if we'll repent and be honest with them, he can begin to redeem that. It happened in the life of David, didn't it? And so my challenge for you, not just as I say as a church, but as individuals, is God has created you in his image. And one of the things I've gotten to know and appreciate about Mark over the last couple of years is he's someone who really takes hold of the promises of God, that God has more for us and our eyes have seen, our ears have heard more than we can understand. When we say we're called to be a prophetic people, that just doesn't mean talking about the future, but we're called to walk into the future. So in 1947 based upon that theory that no one had ever proven before, that it actually cost people their lives, and it seemed like it might cost Chuck Yeager his life, he pushed through. He broke the sound barrier. In 1953, Sir Edmund Hillary and Tenzing Norquay, the Sherpa, they did something nobody had ever done before. They climbed Mount Everest. Now, Dozens and dozens of people climb Mount Everest every year. In the 10s, the 20s, the 30s, and the 40s, the early 50s, the best track coaches in the world worked with the fastest runners in the world to break the four-minute mile. There were actually some coaches that, so to speak, gave up on it, began to think the way the human body is composed it's just not possible to run that fast against the resistance of air against the body. But in 1954, in Ox near Oxford, England, Roger Bannister, he did it. And he did it like in 3 minutes, 59.4 seconds. 
after what athletes and coaches have been trying for decades to do, he did. But you know what's really amazing about that? 47 days later, somebody broke his record. So, Chuck Yeager did something that nobody ever done before, but every day, people get up in airplanes and break the sound barrier. Every single day. Every year, people climb Mount Everest. Lots of people. And now you even have high school athletes that routinely run faster than a four-minute mile. Why? They didn't just do something that no one had ever done. They pioneered it to open up a way. That's what pioneers do. And so we dare not settle for mediocrity in our lives because, number one, you and I will not come into complete fulfillment. We won't enter into that greater joy the Father has for us in knowing his purposes. But number two, God calls you to do things you've never done before for those around you. Could be for your spouse, could be for your children, could be for the church, could be for people you work with. We think of Joshua and Caleb, the only two of their generation that crossed over the Jordan into the promised land. And I love what it says about Caleb. He had a different spirit. Not that he had a different Holy Spirit, but he believed God with his whole heart. Everybody else saw the giants and said, nah, they're going to destroy us. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. How did they know? Did they walk up to the giants and say, how do we appear to you? (laughs) But you see, they leaned to their understanding. Their fears governed their future. We are called to be a Caleb people. We are called to do things in this day and age, like my friend Ray in San Diego is doing, We're called to do things we've never done before. And you think, well, here's a guy with 8,000 people in his church. He could just camp out on that. But he's a man that's going for more than his eyes have seen, more than his ears have heard, more than he can understand. Are you still alive? Good. Let's uh, let's stand. We've got a bunch of uh, books and CDs out there, a couple of DVDs. You can check that out back there later on. I won't take the time right now. But I want to pray for a couple of things tonight before we break. And tomorrow night, and I do want to encourage you tomorrow night or tomorrow to pray about uh, if you have family members or friends who have been suffering long-standing sicknesses, especially things that maybe doctors can only treat that they can't cure, like some forms of cancer or um, you know, MS, epilepsy, things like that. Um, in the last, you know, 10, 15 years, we've got a number of testimonies of people uh, that after years and years of Dickens' disease come into remarkable healings. And so I want to encourage you, if you have family members or friends who are just struggling with something, like maybe pancreatic diabetes, saying you're just going to have to live with this and monitor your health, uh, pray about inviting them to come, and let, let's see what the Lord might do tomorrow. So... Um, This would be a good point for you to turn to the person next to you and say, excuse me. Now say to them, normally when I get a download from heaven, I need more room than you're giving me right now. (laughs)
Can I have the keyboard player come up and just, uh, or piano player come up and just, uh, they look like they need a little bit of mood music to take them up. Just, let's just spread out a little bit and uh, tell the person next to you, don't bother me for the next 10, 15 minutes. Would you just put a hand over your heart right now and pray out loud after me? Father God, even though I don't feel like it much of the time, you created me to be a unique reflection of you. You created me to do things that I've never done before. You created me to be a pioneer person. You created me to be a breakthrough person. Father, I don't want to settle for mediocrity in my life. Help me, Lord, that I don't let the present good become the enemy of the future great. Would you begin to speak to me things I've never heard or seen before? that you created me to walk in? Would you begin to open doors for me that no one can shut? Let this be a season of breakthrough. And in the name of Jesus, I renounce all agreement with the devil that as it has been, so it shall be. Thank you, God. My past disappointments do not determine my future vision. My past failures will not keep me from my future victories. Just allow the Holy Spirit to rest upon you. Just close your eyes right now. Just allow the Holy Spirit to begin to fill you right now. Just allow the Holy Spirit to fill you right now. Increase to you. I speak an impartation of the gift of faith. I bless you to know that you know that you know God did not create you second best. You don't need to compare yourself to anybody else thinking if only I were like him or like her, then things would work out. I bless you to know that your God, the Lord Jesus, he is the Lord of the breakthrough. As you lean not to your understanding and you lean into his grace, you're going to do things you've never done before. You're going to go places and do things within the next five years from now that you never could have imagined. Just allow the Holy Spirit to fill you right now. 
Just allow the Holy Spirit to fill you, right? You know, in the Psalms, it says there's times that deep calls to deep. And sometimes in our hearts, we realize there's a divine transaction taking place. God is pulling some things out like unbelief and hopelessness, and he's releasing faith and determination. There's some of you, as you've heard this message, deep has been speaking to deep in your heart, and you feel like you're being challenged. And you feel like you're saying to yourself, can I dare to believe this message? If deep is calling to deep in your heart right now, and you love this message, but there's a battle going on within saying, can God really have more for me? I want you to come to the front right now because I want to pray specifically for you. You don't need to be embarrassed by this, but if there's a battle going on within you and you want to take hold of this message, but you feel like there's a wrestling match going on, I want you to come to the front right now. Forget about anybody and everybody else and just come to the front. I believe there's a number of you. You know you're supposed to be up here. I'm just going to wait another moment because I believe there's some more of you that you know you're supposed to be up here. Don't let fear of what anybody else thinks rob you of what God has for you tonight. If God's doing something in your heart and there's a bit of a struggle going on, just get come up away from where you're standing. Come on up here right now. I'm just going to wait another moment. There's uh, at least one more guy I know the Lord's speaking to, and you're supposed to be up here. Okay, I'm just going to wait a few more seconds. But you know who you are, and you know you're supposed to be up here. If that's you, just get up here real quick. Okay, let's, uh, let's all stretch hands of blessings to these men and women who came to the front. If you're a Christian and one of them is a friend of yours, feel free to come stand behind them and put a hand on their shoulder right now. Father, in the name of Jesus, for every one of these men and women who have come up here, I ask that you would fill them now in the name of Jesus with the gift of faith and the power of the Holy Spirit. I bless them to be filled right now, filled in the name of Jesus with the Holy Spirit. Come, fire of God, and I speak to hopelessness, and fear of the future, and I break that off in the name of Jesus. And I speak an impartation 
of the gift of faith in the name of Jesus. I bless you to walk out of here knowing that you know that you know God has more for you than your eyes have seen, your ears have heard, more than you can begin to understand. Speaking so impartation. The Bible says, because we believe, we speak. I just want everybody, whether you came forward or not, to speak this out loud after me. Father God, I give glory to you, the one who will do far more, far more, far more than I can think or ask. According to your power of your Holy Spirit that works through me and to me. In the name of Jesus, Bond, this whole church, even those that aren't here tonight, and especially those of you who came forward, I just bless you with the favor of the Lord to be upon you. I bless doors to open for you. Doors of opportunity, doors of employment, doors of relationship, doors of favor. I bless doors to open for you that no one can shut in the name of Jesus. And I tell the doors of the past that need to be shut to shut in a way that no one can open them in the name of Jesus. And I bless this church... I bless this church to be a church of innovation, a church of creativity, a church of breakthrough. I proclaim over this church, 3 John verse 2, may you prosper in all things, including your health, even as your soul prospers. May you prosper in all things, including your health, even as your soul prospers. In the New American Standard translation of the Bible in Psalm 149, it says, God beautifies the afflicted ones with salvation. God beautifies the afflicted ones with salvation. So turn to the person next to you and say, you're better looking than you were two hours ago. Amen. Amen. Thanks, Mark. So before you go, before you go, just one, 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 one second, one minute, one minute, one minute. Listen, I felt like the Lord asked me to invite Mark here. And one of the things that I believe that God is going to do, you know, oftentimes we measure things by what feelings we get or whether there was a manifestation particularly. I want you to believe tonight. I, I really want you to believe. Because I described Mark to you before that, the first time he came, you know, he, he's not, um, doesn't tell a lot of jokes like Kim Wheeler, the missionary there. He, he, he maybe doesn't smile as much as you, people like. He's not, uh, 
He's not doesn't dance around. He's a little bit stoic. But I felt like the more he shared, the first time I hear, it's like I had the picture of a tsunami. And, you know, the first wave that comes in, it's kind of frothy. But that's not really what does most of the damage. It's the heavy water that comes. And there's this heavy water that starts to flow as he ministers. And I believe that as we honor the gift and uh, that God has sent us, that the heavy waters will begin to flow in your life. And it's going to move things that are foundational in your heart. You know, we, 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 we look for little triggers. We look for little, you know, uh, ministry helps to change our lives. But it's actually the deep entrenched things of the heart that are most intransigent, like there's unmovable. And uh, the heavy waters that I believe he's bringing are going to shift some things in, in qualitative ways for you to receive from God following these, this weekend like you never have before. And I'm believing for that for our body because I believe we are set for a new chapter again. And, uh, and so this is that kind of season. So, man, don't look for the fantastic. Don't look for the euphoric. Don't look. Look for the still small voice that says, I'm doing something here, and grab a hold of it. The other thing I saw this morning when we were praying is I was, re- I was reminded of Rick Joyner's book, The Final Quest, and I may get some of the details wrong, but in his journey, there was a white eagle that showed up, and the white eagle, there was two things that, that the white eagle brought. It had a capacity to eat snakes, which are responsible for shame, and I believe the prophetic that Mark represents is like that white eagle. He's not Gandalf the gray, he's Gandalf the white, you know. <laughs> and and there and there the the other thing is there's a refreshing when the eagle the white eagle flapped its wings it was like the breath of god there's a refreshing of the presence of god this is the 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 quality of of apostolic prophetic that is in the house and so let's pull on the gifting uh as, as much as possible and uh and I know there's some people from other churches here but bring others out tomorrow night that you know could use something fundamental, a fundamental shift in their hearts. Amen? All right. Bless you.